Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Before I introduce my guest on this podcast, just a couple housekeeping things. Um, the book that some of you are aware that I've written is now available on Amazon. You can search Richard Osler. You can search Listen, Learn, and Love. It's available for pre-order. It'll come out the third week of September. It's trending number one new release in whatever category it's in. So thank you for the support of the book. The proceeds go um, to the Memorial Foundation for a young man, gay Latter-day Saint who died by suicide. And it's really an attempt to amplify voices of LGBTQ people so we can do better. Um, appreciate all of you have been hanging in there with um, podcast volume quality issues. We have a new soundboard, so that should be fixed going forward. My guest on today's podcast is my friend Devin Bourne. He's here in um, our home doing this podcast on a Sunday afternoon. I'll give you a little background on Devin. He is 32. He is a gay Latter-day Saint. He's in his third year at med school um, at Utah State in Logan after completing two years of med school in St. George. Devin grew up a combination between Utah and Canada, served a mission in the San Jose, California mission, um, then um, went and got his undergraduate degree at the University of Utah and a medical laboratory science degree. Um, that took about five years, pretty intense degree, and then spent four years working in the medical field. And then, as I mentioned, has been in med school for three years. He would like to be um, emergency room doctor, and I'll just, um, by way of introduction, I'll read an email that um, Devin sent to me. Uh, my name is Devin Bourne, B-O-U-R-N. I'm a third-year medical student living in Logan, Utah. I'm a gay man, completely out, active in the church, dating men, and looking for a husband. So Devin is one of these um, gay Latter-day Saints men who, and we have gay Latter-day Saint females, who um, would like to find a partner, a same-sex partner, and participate in the church as much as they can? And the answer is, Devin's going to talk to us about why, so I'll leave that up to him. Some ask why I'm doing a podcast with someone who is choosing a path outside of the teachings of our church, and a couple reasons. One is I want to give hope to those that are suicidal and feel like there's no possible path for them except suicide. And Devin's path while out of the church is a path that keeps um, you here on earth life and keeps you contributing to society. And so I think Devin's podcast will give other people hope. And that includes not only younger LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, but families and local leaders to know how to better meet someone's needs. Um, the second reason is I want to um, get, create stories of people um, all sorts of path that LGBTQ Latter-day Saints are, are taking and honor everybody's path. And so that we can just reduce the division and the div div dismissiveness and divisiveness. That's a word I just made up, um, but I think you know what I mean. And Devin's incredible bridge builder that is trying to honor both parts of the truth of who he is, a Latter-day Saint and gay and not willing, wanting or willing to give up either of those and walking a road without much of an owner's manual, relying on personal revelation the very best way he can. Devin offered a wonderful prayer before we started, and he's brought me to tears a couple times before we even started recording. I think you'll enjoy his podcast, and my prayer is that his story will come out and you'll be 
I'm touched in a positive way by the things Devin has to share. Any things, Devin, that needs to be corrected or that you want to just share before we get started? No, I think that's a pretty good intro. Everything seems to be going good. Um, talk about, um, I'm going to start with, um, Devin came out to a bishop before his mission. Why don't you just talk about why you came out to that bishop and and just kind of your mindset at that at that point and what that bishop did that was helpful for you. Yeah, so I knew I was kind of different from the age of four or five. And then as I started going into puberty, I started really realizing that I had this interest in men that I didn't feel for women. And it really started to scare me. And I was trying to ignore it, get rid of it. And over, yeah, my teenage years really came to the determination that this wasn't going away. It was getting bigger, not smaller. So around 16, I realized that I needed to talk to someone about it, but I was really scared. I was afraid if church leaders or my family or if anyone found out that I'd be excommunicated, disowned, kicked out of the house, that there would just be really horrible consequences. So I was very, very scared. So a lot of prayer for about two years to build up enough courage to go talk to what yeah, eventually was my bishop. So I went, it was around high school graduation that I went and talked to him about it. And I wasn't viewing myself as gay. I was just, I had this attraction to men that I didn't want, but I still wanted to marry a, a woman. I wanted to go on a mission, wanted to have a family, but I was afraid to go on a mission with these feelings that just seemed to be getting stronger and stronger. So he was very kind and I think wise. He told me he really didn't know how to help me, but that he would gladly find me a counselor, someone to talk to so I could try and work through some of this. He told me that if I wanted that this could stay between me and him and that he would not tell my parents and that he would have the church pay for my therapy. But he highly encouraged me to go home and tell my parents about it. So as I was driving home from the church building and I thought about it, I realized, you know, I was 18. I didn't have a car. If I was going to be going to therapy once a week or something, I would need to be taking one of my parents' vehicles. I couldn't be taking one of their vehicles and disappearing and not telling them where I was going. That just wouldn't work. So so I, I went home and I, and I told them what was going on. And overall, I went well. My parents took it pretty well. I think we all just kind of viewed this as some some little thing that I was dealing with and that once I got some therapy, it would, it would probably go away and then I would be fine. And so, so that's, so that's where I went. I went on to, to see a therapist for a year until I went on my mission. And most of it was just to help me kind of take back my brain. I'm definitely a very A type personality. And when there's something that's going on in my head, I tend to repeat it over and over again until I can process it and get a solution and but this was something I wasn't solving, so I just was kind of spinning my t- my tires and not going anywhere with it. And it was just getting bigger and bigger and taking control of my head. And I wanted to be able to take control back and feel okay before I went on my mission. And the the therapy was pretty helpful with that. I kind of had the idea going that I would be able to get over this, that I'd it maybe would never go away one hundred percent, but that I would be able to minimize it into some small little box, and then you know lock that up on the side and it wouldn't be that big of a deal. 
And that seemed to be kind of confirmed on my mission. Um, looking back, I think it's just because it didn't matter if I liked guys or girls as a missionary because I wasn't there to date. I was there to serve the Lord, to do missionary work. And so in, in some ways, my mission was a break for two years. I really didn't have to worry about any of those things very much. It was still there, but it was very much on the back burner. So when I did think about it, I kind of got this idea of, oh, look, I'm beating it. Like it's, it's getting smaller. It's going away. I'm going to, I'm going to be fine. And so I, I was grateful for that tender mercy. I was able to serve my mission, you know, 100% both feet in and, and not really have this be a big issue. Um, besides some interesting finaglings with Proposition 8, which occurred while I was a missionary. That's a separate part of the story. Um, but then I came home and then this kind of hit full force again as I was faced to, I'm faced with, you know, dating, finding a wife, and now all this piled back on and I realized, Devin, you haven't, this hasn't gone away. I like your therapist and I like your mind and where you're talking, Devin, that it was just going really fast and trying to reconcile this and and it sounds like your therapist just did a good job. He didn't reconcile it or she didn't reconcile it for you, but the, he or she gave you some tools just to kind of calm you down in a framework to manage this. And I then love the word break you use for your mission. As I've met, done a lot of podcasts now with um, gay Latter-day Saints, that's a word that they use. They, and they actually talk about their mission being a great time for them for the very reasons you talked about. No one's dating, no one's getting engaged, and it's just a time to have brotherhood helping people come into Christ through our church. And then, like, I think now you're leading into, then you come back, you go to the University of Utah, and you're faced with this again. Just keep telling your story. So coming back, yeah, I, I, I tried to get into dating. I was never huge into dating before my mission, I guess, obviously looking back, because, yeah, I just, I didn't feel that way about girls. I could have some fun with it, but it was a lot of investment of time and money that I, I didn't always want to put into it when obviously I really wasn't feeling that much of a reward, but I, I wanted to have a family. I wanted to have, you know, a wife and children. So started pursuing that, but it just, yeah, it, it, it wasn't gaining a lot of traction. I did, I think maybe a year or so after my mission, I did meet a girl and I very quickly thought, like, my goodness, if there was ever a girl for me, this is the one. She was um, she was also in the medical field. She was just about to graduate with her bachelor's as an RN. She'd already been offered a job at the hospital in the newborn intensive care unit. She just built her own house. She came from a great family, had great parents, great brothers, great testimony, very pretty, beautiful girl. And so, yeah, I thought this was it. And so we started going on dates and I mean, it started, we were just going on dates to have fun, being friends. And I had a great time. I enjoyed hanging out with her. I enjoyed hanging out with her family. But obviously after a few dates, it started to move a little more serious. And that's where I wanted it to go. Um, I went to her house for dinner and then we watched a movie after and she cuddled up with me during the movie, which I was hoping like to move on to that. But when she did, um, my reaction was not what I had anticipated. I felt incredibly awkward and just kind of weird and freaked out. Every It just felt like something was really wrong. And I just went stiff as like a board, just laying there like panicking, trying to figure out what to do. 
So I just kind of white knuckled it through the rest of the date and then left. And I was just like, I, this is wrong. I can't do this. But I really didn't know why. I just kind of thought, well, she just must not be the right girl, even though she seems great. She's just, she's not the one. Um, so I, I ended that relationship and I, I know she, I found out later on, she was definitely heartbroken and which I felt terrible about, but I just thought, okay, she's not the one off to find someone else. So it took a while for, I continued to try and date, never really getting anywhere. So it took a couple more years for me to realize it wasn't because she wasn't the one. It's because women weren't the one. That's why it wasn't working. And so eventually I just, I really kind of came to this determination, I think right around the age of 24-ish, that marrying a woman just was not going to work for me. That if, if I, maybe I could find someone, even if I came out to her and told her what I was dealing with, that it still, it just wouldn't be fair. Like I wouldn't be able to love her the way she was going to love me. I would just kind of be doing it out of pure obedience to what's expected of me socially and religiously. And that it would probably end in a divorce eventually. And that I just felt that would be really unfair to her. It would be very unfair to any children that we would have. I felt like this was my struggle and I didn't want that rippling out and hurting other people. So at that point I was just, well, I'm going to have to be single I'll be a really cool uncle for my nieces and nephews, and I'll just focus on my career, my dream of being a doctor. And so that was kind of the new direction that I took. And that became really overwhelming very, very quickly. Why? Um, so for me, like by far the most important thing in my life is my, is my family. I, I mean, my siblings and I, we fight like cats and dogs. I'm the oldest of six. I have four sisters and a brother. And I know we drove our parents nuts. We pulled each other's hair out and whatever. We were wild. But like, I love them all to death. I, I was very close with my parents growing up. I loved my siblings. And I wanted that for me. I wanted to have my own family. And the idea of just knowing that I was giving that all up, that for like, I was at this point, like a certainty, like I'm not going to have one suddenly life didn't have a purpose anymore. I was excited to have a career in medicine. I was excited to, to travel one day. I was excited to have nieces and nephews. But if I wasn't going to have a family of my own, like nothing was going to make up for that. And I didn't have any reason to live anymore. So I just started feeling like, well, Heavenly Father, if I can't have a family, I'm ready to die now. I'm done. And so I just really felt myself go downhill quickly and realized I was aiming for a very dark, <laughs> deep place that I did not want to go. So I was like, okay, I got to rethink this. This is not, this is not going to work out. Were you suicidal during this time? Uh, thankfully, no, it did not. It did not get that far, but I could see that I was on a direct trajectory to that. And that was coming down the road very quickly. So I was glad I was at least I could recognize that and I knew I needed another course correction, but I didn't know where. So I started thinking about a lot of things. Um, I kind of came, I guess, to this kind of place of feeling like I had four options uh, with my life. Option one was um, I marry a woman and I stay with the church and in that way, like I get to keep my church activity. I do get to have a family, but 
I sacrifice my hope of having like a relationship with someone I can really connect with, with having what I view as like a really happy connected marriage that it, it would just kind of be this artificial thing that we were creating. So that was option one. Option two was to live celibately to just, and then again, I got, I got to stay in the church, but I'd sacrifice a relationship with anyone, sacrifice having children. Uh, option three was I pursued a same-sex relationship and then tried to stay as active in the church as possible, whatever the church would let me. And in that way, I'd be giving up probably a lot of some of my church activity, certainly like my temple privileges and whatever else, maybe other things, callings, whatever my leaders deem necessary. But I would still get to at least have some of the gospel in my life, but I would get to have the family that I was hoping for. And then option four was I just straight up leave the church and pursue a same-sex relationship. Um, and there, again, I get to pursue having a family, get to have a partner in life, hopefully children, but I would be just giving up, um, I guess, my testimony, my connection to the church and to Heavenly Father. So I felt like I had already kind of ruled out options one and two. I didn't feel like it was going to work with a woman, and I didn't feel like being celibate was maintainable long-term. And, and option five, which you didn't ever really come into play, was suicide. So I, I think you ruled that out. Yeah. I recognized that I need to find a different path because I recognize that even that one time you felt yourself getting into a darker area, you pulled yourself out, recognizing that's not what I want to, that's not what I want to have happen. Just one quote. I don't want to sidetrack you here, but I do want to just illustrate um, this quote from Brene Brown that I came across and I use in my presentations at Firesides. Um, not belonging or physiological isolation is the most terrifying and destructive feeling a person can experience. It's not the same as being alone. It's a feeling one is locked out of the possibility of human connection and being powerless to change the situation. In the extreme, physiological isolation can lead to a sense of hopelessness and desperation. People who do almost anything to escape the combination of condemned isolation and powerlessness. So that's kind of frames, I don't know how that resonates to you, just as you're walking these roads that are, have so many trade-offs and even the celibacy road and and not and being powerless to sort of change your options and make everything that you had originally hoped as a young man possible for you. Yeah. So yeah, you could talk about that. You could just go on and talk about these options. No, I, I totally agree with that. And that was, yeah, I was coming to this realization that no matter what was going to happen, I was going to have to sacrifice something. I couldn't have my cake and eat it too, the way I had, yeah, I had envisioned um, growing up. And yeah, it just felt very, yeah, very powerless. I mean, I, I know a lot of people compare, well, you know, if you're gay and you're celibate, like that's no different than a member of the church who just never gets the opportunity to marry. And yeah, there are some similarities, but I felt like there was this stark difference of, well, there's one thing if you're pursuing things and it never comes, like there, that hope is still there, but maybe opportunity doesn't bring it about. But for me, I was ruling out all hope with a celibate life. It was right there saying, nope, this is never going to happen. It's totally off the table. And that's where just all that hope just left. And why it just, it just seemed not sustainable to me if I was going to be healthy for the rest of my life. So that's when I was like, well, I need to consider options three and four and decide what I was going to do. So I started with option three. I decided, well, 
I'm going to try gay dating and see what goes on with that. Um, I had grown up all my life feeling like I had a good sense of when I knew things were right and wrong without anyone telling me. Um, this, the Book of Mormon tells us, by their fruits he shall know them. And so I felt like, well, if gay dating is really bad, I should know it pretty quick. Like it should be made evident to me by Heavenly Father. And so I wanted to try this out, but I didn't want to create any ripples. So I kept it secret at first, but um, I started to meet other gay people, having these connections and really, and immediately was like, oh my gosh, this is why people want to date. Like I'm, I finally started to see that, that connection that other people, you know, were experiencing back in high school as they dated and finally like had a passion, I guess, for, for these connections, for, for wanting to date. Um, I, I met someone online, started spending a lot of time with him and we ended up dating. He was also an RM. Uh, but he was no longer really involved in the church, was moving away with it. And here I am kind of grappling with all these different feelings, all these unknowns, almost feeling like I'm going on dates, but I don't feel guilty about it. But then feeling guilty about that, like, why don't I, like, this is supposed to be wrong. Why don't I feel bad about it? And is my moral compass broken? Have I lost the ability to get revelation or what's, I was just, I was all over the place this conflict between being gay and being Mormon in my heart was just raging. It just felt like two trains running head on into each other every day. And so it was just constant pain and frustration. So I became very sensitive to everything going on around me. Um, I'd go to church and even obviously sometimes this subject would come up and that'd be painful, but even just people, they mentioned eternal marriage or families and things like that just became searing pain. And I couldn't take it. And so I just started kind of following this boy that I was dating out of the church, started going less and less, um, less prayers, less church activity. I'd go maybe once a month just for sacrament meeting. And initially that, that distance I started putting between myself and the gospel provided some relief. Um, it helped calm down that immediate struggle that was going on in my heart. So in that way, it was kind of nice. And so I continued to pursue that. Uh, but over the next few months, I realized that my, my connection to Heavenly Father and my spirituality were nosediving. I just felt like I was in a free fall and moving so far away from Heavenly Father. And I decided, I just realized I can't, I can't take this. I, I had to kind of go back to basics and really start thinking about what I believed from a super basic point of view. And I started, I kind of came to this determination of, I know Heavenly Father's there because I've had experiences with him. I can't deny his presence. And I know my Savior's there. I know he's my older brother and that he's there because I've had experiences with him. I know that the Book of Mormon is true because I feel the spirit when I read it. And I've benefited from it. I know that it is, it is inspired. And I know Joseph Smith's account of the first vision is true because I feel the spirit so strongly when I hear that. Everything else I was like, I don't know. I don't know about at this point, but I know those four things. And that means that the gospel's true and that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ Church here on the earth. Um. And in all of this, I also came to really know this. I had what was honestly the most powerful revelation I'd ever had in my life. I was really 
grappling with all these feelings, feeling very frustrated, you know, excited that I was connecting with this person that I was dating, feeling guilty about it though, and not knowing what to do. And I found myself um, at my bed one evening, just bawling into my bed sheets, praying and just asking him, we felt like, why are you doing this to me? Like, I've, I've been so good all my life. Like I was the Peter priesthood, perfect Mormon boy growing up. I've loved the gospel. I've done everything I was supposed to do. Why can't I have a family? Like, why are you punishing me with being gay? And the more I try to not be gay, the like nothing comes of it. I feel like I'm more like it's becoming a bigger and bigger deal. Like, why would it's not fair? Like, why does everyone else get to have a family? All my friends, missionary companions, high school friends were getting married, having children. And I was like, I want that. That's a righteous desire. Why can't I have it? And so I was just, I was just pouring out all this hurt to heavenly father that I just couldn't take anymore. And in the middle of just this rambling painful prayer, um, I got this answer that I didn't expect. And it was, it was stronger than anything I had had before. So I've definitely had revelation where it's felt like thoughts, impressions, strong feelings, but these were words I heard in my head, like audibly. And when I heard them, it cut off my whole train of thought, all my sobbing and freaking out just instantly stopped when I heard these words. And with the words came this understanding of what they meant. And the words I heard were, you chose this. And it was explained to me that I knew in the preexistence that I was going to be gay. I very much feel like we had a hand in planning what was going to go on here in this earth, in our pre-mortal life. Maybe not everything, but that we worked with Heavenly Father to kind of set things up. And yeah, I was told that I had I had chosen this path in the preexistence and that I agreed to it, that I knew that this was something I was going to be experiencing in my time on earth. And so this wasn't a punishment. This wasn't Heavenly Father being discriminatory against me or hating me, but this was an important part of my soul, of my journey that wasn't supposed to be fixed or taken away or whatever it was that I was searching for. And so it very much changed the way I was approaching being gay. I just, I thought of this as something that I was supposed to beat, that I was supposed to cut out of my soul, whatever, and get rid of, repent of. And now here I was being told like, no, this is an important part of who you are. And I didn't get any other answers. I don't know if that means I was gay in the preexistence. I don't know if that means I'll be gay after this life. I don't, he didn't explain to me how this was supposed to fit in with everything or what I was supposed to do with it. But just that, this was who I was supposed to be and that he loved me this way as a gay man. And that I, I knew that just as surely as I knew, you know, that the sun rises in the East. And so realizing that I had this testimony of my father in heaven, my savior, the book of Mormon and Joseph Smith. And I had a testimony that I was a gay son of God. And that was the way I was supposed to be. I all of a sudden was at this point of, Oh my gosh, I, I have to find a way to somehow put these together and live with both. I can't, I can't deny one any more than the other saying I don't have a testimony would be just as ridiculous as saying that I wasn't gay. And so I, I was just going to have to go forward figuring out how to intertwine these two. And so at that point I was like, I've, I've got to get back to church. I've got to reconnect with heavenly father and I've got to find a way to 
to make this work. So I reached out to my bishop and his wife. Um, I wrote a letter to my bishop. I was too afraid. It was, it's so hard to come out to people. It's emotionally so taxing. You don't know what their reaction is going to be. I was afraid of awkward questions in the middle of, you know, I guess worthiness, but what are like all these, just these scary emotions. And so I decided the safest thing to do was to write a letter to him, kind of told him my whole story up to that point. I went to church, gave him the letter and said, can you please read this? And we'll talk about it next week. And I went to that interview the next week, fully expecting to be disfellowshipped, released from my calling, scolded, whatever, that all this bad stuff was going to happen. But he was incredibly kind. He, he told me that he had nothing but love and sympathy for me on this difficult path, that he couldn't imagine what I was going through. He did tell me that he's had other friends who have you know, been gay and a member of the church, We've had to explore and figure out what they wanted to do with this. And he pretty much told me, like, you're going to have to do the same. You're going to have to figure out what path you want to take. Kind of as you said earlier, there's no guide to being a gay member of the church. And everything that I'd kind of envisioned went out the window. And he's like, well, you're going to have to figure it out on your own now. And I just want to love and support you. You know what the standards of the church are. So if, down the road, if there's certain actions you take, then there may have, like, I may be required for discipline for chastity things but otherwise he's like you're gonna have to figure out what you want to do so go for it there's no rules that you can't hold a boy's hand or give him a kiss or go on a date so have at it and <laughs> figure out what you want to do with life i was shocked and i was like you don't want to take away my callings or you know disfellowship me or anything and he's like no i think it's important you keep your callings i want to keep you here at church and i didn't feel comfortable having a temple recommend so i actually relinquished that at my interview I wasn't my quote unquote unworthy at that point, but I felt like I was pursuing, you know, since I was deciding to actively pursue relationships with men that I shouldn't have one. I was aimed at, I guess, what the church would consider not being worthy for that. Um, so I, I gave that to him and which was hard. I'd been a temple worker before that, which I, I love the temple. So that was hard, but I knew I wanted to explore and figure out this other part of my soul and figure out what I needed to do with it. And so I had, I had him give that letter to his wife. She was incredibly kind about everything. She would just hug me and tell me, Devin, it's going to get better. This is where you're supposed to be. And, and I told her that, like, I know this is where I'm supposed to be. And so if I'm not here, will you please get me here? I love that. I love that part of the story. I love that Bishop and his wife. I believe that's a U of University of Utah student ward. Correct. And um, a couple things came up there that I think are worth noting that I really liked. I liked that you wrote him a letter. And I think that's a great way to um, prepare somebody for a conversation that you want to have with them. But it just may be emotionally difficult to get out all the things you want to say. So I think writing a letter to a family member, to a parent to a priesthood leader in this case, preparatory to a face-to-face -face conversation is often a really great idea. So I think that was really thoughtful. I like the way you kind of inferred we as bishops, I'm not a bishop anymore, shouldn't turn a coming out interview into a worthiness interview. I don't think unless a unique situation or worthiness comes up proactively by the person coming out, I think that's a I don't think we need to pivot to a worthiness interview. I think we need to um, 
ask questions like, tell me more about your experience. What can I do to help? How can I serve you? Um, tell me open-ended questions about how the person's feeling versus prescriptive advice that can come later in the spirit of trust and fully understanding the situation. I also love this bishop and his wife for trusting you, Devin, and just and saying, you know the teachings of our church. We trust you. And I think sometimes people make better decisions when they're empowered and they're better to stay connected with heavenly parents and seek personal revelation when they're empowered. I think that's sometimes hard for us as parents and priesthood leaders, but it is a core part of our doctrine. And I think um, personal agency is what I'm speaking about. And I love the way they just, they sort of just put their arms on your back and said, you need to self-determine your road. We're going to invite you to stay in the church. We're going to teach the church teachings, but um, self-determine is a pretty important word for me in this space is I think it's important for everybody to self-determine their road. And my job is to um, support people as they decide the road that's best for them and leave any judgment to our Savior and His perfect understanding. So I love what happened there. And I love your integrity to hand in your temple recommend. You're a veil worker. You love the temple. I'm a veil worker, an ordinance worker, at least until COVID shut down the temple. And I've never, I can't imagine having to choose like you've been having to choose and sort of the impossible choices that you face that I've never faced. And so as we hear your stories, we develop better empathy for the, the choices you make. But I love your personal integrity that even though you're worthy to hold a temple recommend, that you recognize the path you're going down ultimately would lead to not being temple worthy and just your personal integrity um, to just manage that. And I, I admire that and the sacrifice it took and just your stand-up guy trying to do this road the very best you can. So keep telling your story. Yeah, so as this was all kind of going on. Um, I guess we had the family side of it. Good. So as... As I got into, I guess, gay dating and started to feel, even though I was kind of here and there and all over and mixed, overall, I was feeling like this is something I wanted to continue to pursue. So since this is becoming, you know, uh, I guess part of my life I'm deciding to keep at this point, then I, I felt like it was important to tell my family. And this, this is where things got a little stickier at home. So up until this point, this was just something, I guess, like a temptation, whatever, you know, my parents and family looked at me as having and so they didn't they didn't worry about it that much you know we, we all struggles but i wasn't quote unquote acting on it but when i came out to them that i was dating guys um they really took that hard uh, it was really hard for my parents particularly my mother and i think i validated those concerns as i said i started shifting out of the church and being less active i stopped wearing my garments i I was hardly going to church anymore. And so I think that was very much confirming my parents' worst fears that I was hauling on out of the church and leaving my testimony behind. So it was, it became really, really hard at home. Um, you know, as we were trying to seek understanding, I you know they're scared for what's going to happen to me, what's going to happen to my eternal soul, what's going to happen to our family. And that pain very much just bubbled up right to the surface. And that was really challenging. I'd been close with my parents growing up, and now there was this big wedge between us, this big disagreement on the decisions that I was making. 
So I didn't feel that comfortable at home anymore with visiting my parents. It was just too frustrating and painful as we were all navigating this. So I started reaching out to, I wanted to find a support group somewhere and I really didn't know what there was. I knew of some online dating apps, like gay dating apps, but I didn't feel like that was the best resource to get help. Uh, but of all things, I actually had a school teacher. She taught me math in high school and I ended up teaching her kids piano lessons before my mission. And while I was on my mission, her husband came out and I didn't know a ton of their story, but I knew that they were very involved in the gay Mormon community and that she would know what resources and things there were. So eventually I just got up the courage and I, I messaged her on Facebook and said, Hey, Sarah, I'm really struggling. I'm gay. I don't know what to do. I need help. Will you please help me? And she was wonderful. She tied me in with a whole bunch of different people, people in affirmation, North star, uh, USGA down at BYU, PFLAG, all this, these people that just immediately came in and became this big support net for me, um, helping me out since I didn't feel like I was having that support from home at that time. And so I, I very, very quickly became involved in all these different organizations, firesides and, online Facebook groups. And, and as much as I was struggling, um, I was surprised, like I was, I guess in a better place than a lot of other people. And I guess whatever church skills I'd picked up, I got pulled into leadership positions very quickly. I started running a millennials group and affirmation for, uh, gay people my age and just became very, very busy. And so it was good. I made a lot of friends very quickly, straight allies, LGBT, you know, youth and young adults that were my age and got a lot of support. And that, that was my support for about a year and a half while things kind of simmered at home. But, uh, eventually things all of a sudden they kind of took this turn at home. Um, my mom came to the last day of an affirmation conference and was able to meet parents of a lot of other gay, uh, youth, young adults. And she was quickly roped into some groups with them. And my mom also had, um, it's kind of like her brother slash cousin. My mom was orphaned when she was 15 and was adopted by her aunt and uncle. So her, she has five cousins who are also her siblings. And one of these siblings came out to her. Um, I think he was around 45, 50 and just kind of told her he's not religious at all. My mom's the only member of the church in her family. And he just kind of told her like, I would, I suppressed this for several decades and eventually just realized this is who I was and it wasn't going to change. And I wanted to be happy. And so whatever happened, all these different experiences, my mom started to change. Um, at one point she told me that the, the burden of pain she was carrying was just suddenly lifted. Heavenly father took that away. And all of a sudden she became this very loving and supportive individual to me. Um, getting involved in a lot of the stuff I was doing, volunteering, being like, if you want to hold a fireside at our house, you can do it here and you can have all your gay friends over and we'll be kind to them. And I've definitely, I've had different friends that I've made over the years who haven't been able to go home where it's not been safe for various different situations. So they'll come and spend holidays with me and my family. And it's, yeah, it doesn't make no, never mind to my family. They don't care. It doesn't bother them. Um, they've all done, they've all done really well. I've been tremendously blessed. Um, as I, kind of came out and had decided I was going to go into gay dating. That's when I finally came out to my siblings and there were a few tears and frustrations, but overall they did, 
they've done really, really well with it. They've, they've been kind. They don't always understand it all. Um, I think we all had stereotypes and things we had to get over. I had to get over a lot of my own stereotypes of what a gay person was. And I realized eventually my, my family was having to do the same. Um, for instance, one day I was driving my sister home. We'd had Sunday dinner at my parents and I was driving her home to her house. And we went past downtown Salt Lake and we went past some bar and she pointed and she was like, oh, I think that bar is really popular for gay people. Do you ever go there? And I just looked at her and I was like, I don't go to bars. I don't drink. Like, what are... And I realized, yeah, that this was just things that assumptions she had made and things that they were worried about that I hadn't realized, kind of seeing where some of their concerns and fears were. And so I guess I had to kind of spell out more of where my standing was, especially as I kind of, as I had kind of veered away from the church and now was coming back, like, no, I'm not um, participating in these other things that you guys are afraid of. I'm, I'm holding to church teachings aside from, I guess, the fact that I'm going on dates with men and wanting to pursue that, but I'm, I'm still following the word of wisdom. I still fast. I still go home teaching. I, I have all these aspects of my testimony still that I'm trying to hold to. And so slowly, yeah, everything kind of turned over with my family and, and then, yeah, it, it was really wonderful after that. Um, the final, I guess, kicker for mending those bridges, um, was I went through a breakup in 2016. Um, it had been a really rough year. I had, I was in the process. I was trying to get into medical school. I had submitted applications, um, the year before, but the, the whole application process to med school is like a year long. So I found out in March that I, I hadn't gotten in. And then I went through a breakup with someone who I'd been dating for two years shortly thereafter. So I had my career had been taking a hit and then my personal life took a hit. And then I started working on applications for med school again and they weren't working out. I, I went and saw a counselor about my applications and she told me your application's great the way it is. There's just not enough on it. You need more extracurricular. So she told me, don't even bother applying this year. You need to spend a year wow. working on beefing up your resume. So that was like another boom. Like, so within a few months, like med school had been delayed a year and now two years. And then I'd started dating someone else who I fell for pretty quick. I, I, I thought that this person was the one and that ended at the end of the year. They, they, they weren't whatever they, they dumped me and they moved on. And that was just, that was too much. It was the combination of that year was just too heavy and I broke, um, I, I fell completely apart. I, I didn't want to die, but I just hurt so badly. Everything was just crashing down. My career felt like it was falling apart. My personal life felt like it was in shambles and I couldn't take life anymore. I just, I hurt so badly and I couldn't, it just eventually my brain, I was just like, I can't hurt anymore. And so I, I wanted, I didn't want to die, but I felt like suicide was the only way to make the pain stop. So I kind of had two half-hearted suicide attempts. Um, I had a friend who stopped me with one and it was actually my mother with another one. And I don't think either of them were entirely aware of what was going on, of what I was trying to do, but they were blessed and wise enough to kind of intervene in some way and, and prevent that. Um, so I ended up going back to therapy. I was put on antidepressants and it took me about a year to recover from all that to kind of get back on my feet. 
but my family, since I was in such a bad place, I, my family was all I had to turn to. I went to my parents and to the last few kind of weird, odd things that had, hadn't been made right in between us since I had come out, those were mended with that whole situation because I just needed so much help. And so as horrible as a year of that was, um, I'm really grateful for what it did with my familial relationships because I went back to being just super close with my parents, with everything. And we, we got to have some really deep conversations about where I was at and what was going on. They were still like scared of what the future holds. Like they still have their testimonies and aren't sure like, yeah, what the right answers are for me, but they really could see what a sticky situation it was that I was trying to, to do my best with a really weird situation and make the best of it. And my mom even told me once, she was like, Devin, I just, I pray that somehow this could just be fixed and you could have a wife and kids and everything would be okay, that you could have that future that you've envisioned for yourself and we've all envisioned for you. But I realized that's probably not going to happen. That's probably not God's will as much as we want that. And we're just going to have to kind of figure it out as we go forward together. And so for me, that was very, I appreciated that even though they don't may, they don't understand exactly how I feel, but they, they could see that I was trying, you know, to, to make this all work, this very weird middle road between gay and being a member of the gospel did, of Christ. Did they know your hopes are to marry a man? Yes. And they may not necessarily agree with all of that, but they know they like, they could see how important it is. Like they know like that it's important to me to have a family and that you I want that. And that I, yeah, that I, I had conversations with them like that. I'd like to adopt children one day and, um, things have evolved with that. I know my mom was kind of against that at first, but she's come around because since then she told me, she's like, well, Devin, if you're a doctor, you're going to be busy. If you adopt kids then I want to live, near you so I can help you out with your kids and things like that. So it's, it's, it's come a long ways. Thankfully I've been very blessed. And your mom, um, I guess has been on this road for 14 years. And if she were on the podcast, she'd probably talk about her journey. And I think it's this journey of grief, whatever the stages of grief are that may apply, you know, your original hopes for your son or your daughter. And then sort of acceptance, this is the reality of the situation, and just leaving that at the Savior's feet and saying, my job as a parent is to love, and my job as a parent perhaps is to hear the hopes of my kids. And if the hope of my kid is, even though it's not my hope, or at least um, I think you need to be able to share your hopes with your parents. Um, And if your hope is to marry a man and have a family, I think the family circle needs to be that it's safe enough that parents can hear the hopes of their kids. And so you're all sharing the realities of everybody's feelings and can keep the family circle together. And I love, to me, this is a parent success story. If they're listening for what your parents have done to, you know, sort of get on your path and understand you're going to self-determine your path, but we want to get on your road so we can help you the very best way you can. And And I sort of talk about sometimes, you know, we don't talk about ways to do life off the covenant path. It's sort of just this binary, you're either on or you're off. But there's a lot of ways to live life off the covenant path, so to speak. And 
And one of those ways is the, you're, the way you're doing it, where you're keeping as many covenants as you can, including, I love your example of passing the bars. There's no, it's not part of you. You don't need to adopt that part of the world to somehow fit into the gay lifestyle. You're just saying, this is my path, and I'm going to do, do this as the very best way as a Latter-day Saint that I know how. And I'm going to hold on to everything I can that'll bless my life. But there's this, this part of my life that I, is going in this direction, and, and, and it's just the reality of my situation. And so I'm just going to you know, leave that at the Savior's feet. And I know that if I don't make you the—I use this line a lot in the podcast, the hero one day for staying in the church and staying celibate or— going into a mixed orientation marriage, if I sort of, I don't want to make you the hero the one day and the villain the next day, because if I point to you, somebody that is likely to be in a same-sex marriage and say, that's what's wrong with their society, or that's why the world's going downhill, I, I worry I'm just going to make you angry. And then I'm going to help create a really angry former Latter-day Saint who's felt so much pain from this faith community that he's hurt so much and there's so much core pain that's occurred in him or her that pain leads to anger, and that gets channeled to family, to friends, to faith. And I think part of my job as a Latter-day Saint is to try not to create pain in other people, even those that don't fully participate in our church. Any thoughts on any of that? No, I totally agree. It's it's something I've watched a lot over the last um, so it's been seven years that I've been involved in a lot of these organizations and six years that I've been completely out. And so with all, with meeting so many friends, especially around my age and seeing their journeys, what I came to see over and over again, yeah, was just eventually there would be so much pain and grief trying to walk this path, trying to navigate, having a testimony and being LGBT that eventually people just, they can't take the pain anymore. And that's when I see them leave the church. And as, as you said, yeah, that pain then becomes anger. Um, and that's, it's the way that you can take control of that pain is to turn it into anger and have some semblance of control over your life. And I've had a lot of really interesting, honest conversations with people who, when they come down to it and let their guard down a little bit, have told me like, I still believe in the church. Like I still believe in Christ. I still believe in the book of Mormon, but I don't go anymore because there's no place for me. And I don't, they're not kind to me. Like, I don't feel safe there. And I'm sure that's not true of everyone, but I've definitely met a lot of LGBT former Mormons who tell me they, yeah, they still hold many beliefs of the church. They just can't find a place for them anymore um, in the church. And I don't blame them honestly for leaving. And I think the savior and our father in heaven understand that and those reasons. Cause I know for me, it's, I definitely kind of came to the determination, like, I don't feel like the church does the best at making a place for LGBT people, but I decided that I was just going to grind my heels in and make a place for myself, whether people liked it or not. And I've definitely gotten pushback from both sides right. from that, from members of the church and from the LGBT community. But at the end of the day, I, I just decided this was my journey. And I definitely feel like I've seen this kind of, whether it's spoken or unspoken, this idea that you can either be gay or you can be Mormon, but you can't be both. And one determines the other. And I don't feel like that's true. I feel like these were parts of my life that were, although they affect each other, that I could determine 
for themselves. One did not dictate the other, that I could have a testimony of my heavenly father and my savior, and I could still be a gay man. And one didn't have to overrule or get rid of the other one, that I could be both, that I could honor my sexuality um, and my testimony of the gospel. And that's, I think it's, it's not, I guess, an easy journey whatsoever. And I would never presume to tell anyone that they should follow me, that my journey is supposed to be the journey of other people. But I would hope that that's something that people could consider, especially, you know, young LGBT youth or anyone else who's trying to decide what path they want to take, that you don't have to have one dictate the other. Um, I was just reading Charlie Bird's book actually this weekend, and he, I th he gave a line that I thought just hit it on the head. He said, as he started to meet a lot of um, LGBT Mormons, he felt like there were two types. There were ones that either loved the church and hated themselves for being gay or loved themselves for being gay and hated the church. And yeah, his kind of question too is why can't we weep both? Why can't you love yourself as a gay person and also love the gospel of Christ? And so that's definitely where I feel like I've tried to kind of make my where I've tried to build my house, you know, on this, this journey, I don't know how they go together. And, but that I'm okay with that. Um, I really love science. So I kind of compare it to, um, right now in science, we have two theories. We have quantum mechanics and relativity. Quantum mechanics does a great job of describing the interaction of subatomic particles of how atoms and electrons and protons and how they all work. And it's a very valuable part of science in that, in that field and relativity describes the movement of planets and stars and very macro large scale stuff. And it works really well there, but the two laws do not fit together at all. Quantum mechanics and relativity do not line up in any way. And so you've probably heard of string theory. That's been this goal of scientists for years to try and unite these two theories, to bring them together and connect them. And no one's been able to do it. They can't, they can't get string theory to work. They can't, figure out how to get these two things to go together. But that doesn't invalidate either one. Quantum mechanics is wonderful and relativity is wonderful in their respective fields. We just don't know how they go together. And that's how I kind of feel this journey has been for me. I, I know that my father in heaven is there and I know I'm a gay man and that he loves me. And I have no idea how those two streets are supposed to intersect and what that's supposed to look like. But just because I don't understand it doesn't mean it's the answer's not out there and it's not possible. And we know that this life is supposed to be living by faith. We're not supposed to have all the answers. And so I think sometimes Heavenly Father lets us struggle a little bit, flounder a little because we learn from that. I've definitely learned, I think, more from my mistakes than from my successes. Like by leaving the church and putting that distance between me, I, I learned right then and there that I couldn't do that, that that wasn't going to work for me. And I came back. So I felt like I learned more about my testimony out of the church than I almost did in sort of thing. So it's, it's a messy situation. And I don't think that this path is necessarily right for everyone, but I do think it's, but it, it's another option for people to consider. And I would just hope, yeah, that we would continue to extend love and try and understand each other, no matter what path people are choosing to take. I do think the right choice for some people is to leave the church for them to be safe and to, to, per, to have a good life. 
And that's the place that they're supposed to be. And that for some people, it's going to be staying. It's going to be going into a mixed orientation marriage. It's going to be being celibate, or maybe it's being my path and trying to find, you know, a balance of both. But that those choices are between that individual and God. They're we can't receive revelation for each other. That's not the way those things work. We're just supposed to love and care for each other. I mean, the Savior's, he told us that the two greatest commandments were to love God and love each other. And so I try and just stick with that. There's plenty of things that I hear, and maybe I don't agree with other people's decisions, but it's their journey. I haven't walked in their shoes. I don't know what they've experienced. My, I just need to love them and help them the best they can of wherever they're at to, you know, to move forward. It's interesting how, you know, my journey um, to understand this space as an ally and your journey in this space has brought us to so many of the same conclusions. Um, and I've had I've probably spent more time in prayer and fasting and personal rec- ref- recollection, reflection to understand my role as an ally and, and that to help LGBTQ Latter-day Saints make their way forward. And so I agree with everything you said. I, I, I wouldn't have agreed with something you said, but I agree with it 100% now is that um, you had this conversation with Heavenly Father and that you chose this path. I've given enough priesthood blessings to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, and that's been something I felt an impression at times about. It's kind of stunning to me, um, but I just... I just have had this impression that for whatever reason, and some of that feeling has been to make your life mission possible, being LGBTQ is part of your life mission. And you and somehow your unique road is is possible because of this. And and sort of like when you left mortality or the pre-earth life, sorry, you you recognized how hard this road would be, and even your heavenly parents did too. And they grieved for you as they knew that this would be really hard, but they knew that you could handle it. And they knew that somehow your ability to bless other people's lives would be enhanced and your own life refined in a way that would be possible. And so I love that idea. It's not necessarily counter to anything we teach in the church. We haven't explicitly taught that, but as I share that, I don't see anything that I'm teaching that would be inconsistent with church teachings. I think this idea that everybody's created how they're supposed to be created is is really important because it all puts us on the same moral footing that as I look in the mirror and pray to my heavenly parents, I feel that I'm just like you, created as intended, and I shouldn't feel shame or self-loathing for this part about me. And for LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, that's a journey to get to that point. When they get to that point, I've noticed they are more likely to connect with heavenly parents and more likely to make better decisions because they're coming from a position of strength that they sort of own this part about them as not being broken. And to me, that just leads to a much better path going forward. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it doesn't always mean there's understanding with it. I mean, obviously I've spent many times on my knees trying to pray to understand how this all fits together, what, what it means, what it's supposed to look like. And a lot of times I honestly just feel like I'm making it up as I go kind of by trial and error. And, you know, I try things and if they don't work, then I let them go and I continue to make course corrections. And so maybe who knows where my life will be. Maybe I'll stay on this path of searching for us and maybe that'll change down the road one way or the other. I don't know. 
I just try and involve um, Heavenly Father as much as I can. And interestingly enough, usually the answer I just get from him um, isn't any solution to this problem, but just to trust him and hang on. Um, I got that really strongly when back in 2015, the church made policy changes that were obviously very controversial. Um, and that was, it was, it was hard when, when that came out, I was very confused and spent a few days trying to figure out how I felt about it and trying to under, even just understand what it, all the implications were and what it meant. And so I just started praying about it over and over again, Heavenly Father, should I, is this policy from you? Is it not from you? Is it correct? Is it incorrect? Should I support it? Should I not support it? So many questions about it. And he didn't answer any of those over and over again. The more I prayed about it, the stronger it came of this just answer of him telling me, don't worry about it. You'll be okay. I'll take care of you. And so after I got that like two, three times, I just kind of threw my hands up and said, okay, I'm not going to worry about what's going on with this. I don't have any answers, but I'll just kind of live in this gray, ambiguous area and trust that somehow, you know, it's, it's all going to work out. And it was actually a real blessing because I know a lot of my friends, obviously they, they were very pained by those things. Um, just, just really hurt by, by that policy and had a lot of issues with that and all that pain, frustration, anger, whatever it was, I just, I, it fell out. I lost it all before it could really take hold because if I was just, well, Heavenly Father's told me that I'll be okay as long as I just kind of keep trying to stick close to him and he'll help me figure it out. And that's just kind of the path I'm taking right now. I, I still don't know how it's going to work out. Maybe I will find a husband. Maybe I won't. Maybe at some point I'll decide I want to marry a girl. I, I don't know. Do you pray to find a husband? I do. I, through all this, I think, I really, my prayers changed a lot going through this whole situation over the last, you know, 10 years or so. And I've become brutally honest in all of my prayers with Heavenly Father. And the more honest and straightforward I am with him, I feel like the better, like, connection I have with him. And so, I mean, in church, we're taught to be very pious and say all these these and thous and you know, be very polite. But when I pray on my own, I just talk to him, you know, as we are sitting across the table and I tell him everything. I tell him what I'm excited about. I tell him what I'm frustrated over all my feelings, whether they be right or wrong. Like heavenly father, I really like this person. I want for this to happen. I want to have a husband. I want to have kids. I don't, I don't want to deal with this. And this thing got set at church and I, it made me mad, whatever it is. I just, I dump all of it out on the table so that hopefully he, I can give you know myself the best opportunity to be led and guided by him as I move forward. And it's really, I guess, changed my relationship with him. I feel like everyone has two connections to God or has the option to have two connections with God. We have our connection to God through like church, and then we have our personal connection, just one-on-one. -on -one. And I felt like growing up, a lot of my connection was more through the church and a little less one-on-one. -on -one. And obviously when things have become painful at church, that connection kind of suffered. So I had to really work on my one-on-one -on -one connection with him. And that that being brutally honest in my prayers and just telling him everything has been a big part of that, has, has been beneficial to me just to tell him everything. So yeah, I tell him like, Heavenly Father, I want to find another person who has a testimony who will go to church with me to marry. And which has made dating honestly hard. 
um, there's very few people I know who who want to stick with the church and pursue a same-sex relationship. So sometimes it does feel like really lonely and hopeless and that am I ever going to find anyone who wants to walk this really bizarre path with me? But so I tell them that, like, I don't know what's going to happen, Heavenly Father, but can you throw me a bone and help me out? Like, either help me to find someone who's going to walk this path with me. Like, it's a righteous desire, right, that I want to stay with the church, in, at least in my view. And so will you help me to find someone who will walk that journey with me? Or will you help me to see if it's another empath entirely that I'm supposed to be following? Will you help me find that? wherever it may be like bang me i know i'm stubborn but hit me over the head enough times until i figure out where i'm supposed to be going with this that's a good really good segment i love you know i look at the church as the current under the ocean that moves us to the island if we're lost on the ocean the island represents god and safety and i like that ultimately it's a relationship with God that represents that island or safety. And the purpose of the church isn't to create an island. The church is the church is to create the current that moves us towards God. And so I love that. I love your ideas about how we should connect with heavenly father and our doctrine is we should have a personal relationship. And when I think about you talking to your heavenly father, I think about that's the way I want my own children to talk to me because I want to know everything that's going on in their lives and I think that Heavenly Father or Heavenly Parents can handle everything that you want to share with them. And they're omnipotent. They have the capacity to hear all of that conversation and fully hear your whole heart. So I like that. I really, and I think seeking personal revelation is key to everybody, um, especially LGBTQ Latter day Saints that have less of a roadmap. I'm comfortable that you're praying for a partner. Um, yeah, it's a path outside the teachings of our church. I probably oversay that in these podcasts. Um, but I like the way that you're relying on Heavenly Father to help you make the very best decisions. And I think that just helps you make better decisions and get better answers. And so I like that. I've heard, you know, Tom Christofferson talk about that, that in, in a church fireside, two same-sex people that are dating ought to kneel down and ask Heavenly Father you know, if this is right, that they get married. Because um, if I think Heavenly Father will help them make a good decision. So I just love the idea of personal revelation. Um, I've got a quote here on an Instagram that um, that you've said, but I'll just say it in my way too. It's the same quote. Please don't take one LDS LGBTQ person's story and make it the right path for other LGBTQ people. Each LGBTQ person needs to get personal revelation from heavenly parents for their path. Let's love our LGBTQ friends because they deserve to be loved, not because they choose a particular path. I also love this idea that my personal revelation doesn't give me the right to judge your personal revelation, or part of keeping my covenants doesn't give me the right to judge if you're keeping your covenants, with the exception of your priesthood leader you're pretty open with. And I also believe that just like you're illustrating here, there's no belief or behavior hurdle that should cause someone to feel welcome or unwelcome in a congregation. Everybody should feel welcome in a Latter-day Saint congregation. The narrowing of the gate occurs at the temple where there's a belief and a behavior hurdle. So I think if we keep that in mind as, as local members and as leaders, everybody I've met with that doesn't hold a temple recommend sort of isn't asking for a temple recommend 
they recognize where the lines are. They just want to, a lot of people like you, and if you go into a same-sex marriage, just want to feel welcome in the congregation. And so you can do the things that work for you to have a spiritual relationship and keep the spirit in your life. And we haven't talked about your career, Devin, but let's not forget what you're trying to do with your career. That's a long road. I assume you have a lot of student debt, and that makes you up at night, and you've got, you're in this long tunnel that you're probably how many years away from getting a paycheck, a regular sort of uh, post-med school residency paycheck? Six more years. So I don't know if you have anxiety about that, but let's not forget what you're trying to do with your career and to be an emergency room doctor. It's a pretty unselfish road, um, given the long tunnel you're in the student debt and a desire to help other people. So you know, you're just a great, and so these dark days or even these days you thought about, but you know, you didn't go down the suicide road too much, but it sounds like that cropped up with you. Our world and our society is just so much better with you here and your contributions in in the church and society and with your career just make our world a better place. Um, are there other things you'd like to share in the podcast we haven't gotten to, Devin? Um, I think the only other thing I would share is, I mean, obviously I continue to learn and grow. That never ends. But something that's really helped me with, I guess, navigating this road between balancing being gay and being a member of the church when things happen that are hard and difficult at church, whether that be from the top, you know, at church headquarters or whether it's something that just happens in the classroom and someone says something that's hurtful, um, I very much have come to view the gospel of Christ and the church as separate entities. Um, I believe the gospel of Christ to be perfect. I don't think we have all of it. There's still answers yet to come, but that gospel that he teaches is perfect. The church is just kind of, as you talked about, like, yeah, waves to lead you to an island. I just see the church as this vehicle to help us live the gospel. And I do believe it's headed by Christ and he's directing it and helping it get to where it needs to go. But it's completely instituted and run by men who are all imperfect themselves. And so it doesn't shock me when those men make mistakes. And then, and, and then by way of it, you know, the church does something that I question. And maybe, I don't know, like, if things are always right or wrong, perhaps I don't always understand it the best. But when something comes along and I go, oh, I think that was a mistake on the church's part. They shouldn't have said or done that or done it differently or whatever that may be. I look at it as, well, that's these men trying to run it the best that they know how. And I know if God came to me and said, Devin, I want you to run a church for me, I would try my darnest to do it right. But I'm not perfect. I don't know everything. At some point, I would screw up. I would say something wrong. I'd offend someone. I, I wouldn't do it right all the time. And so I can't expect that from anyone else we're all imperfect and so that for me has helped me to i guess kind of sidestep some of those more difficult things when things don't go maybe the way i want with the church that i'm i'm not at church for the church i'm at church in my sunday meetings for the gospel to work on my connection with heavenly father to become a little more like my savior so something comes up and it's difficult it's sticky I don't know if I feel right about it, then that's okay. I just set that aside and I, I hold to the stuff that, that, that resonates, I guess, 
I mean, someone, I was explaining this to someone and they're like, oh, so you're kind of like a cafeteria Mormon picking and choosing. And I'm like, yeah, maybe that doesn't sound like the best, but I'm, it's the best I, I feel like I can do right now. I'm, I'm doing the best with the things I can hold on to, the things that, I'm, that don't seem to fit, then I kind of set those on the side and I just continue to try and work towards Heavenly Father. And hopefully those other things we eventually, whatever, swirl around and, and I can work those out, whether in this life or the next but because I know so many people do get hurt by things that have happened in the church and I don't blame them. I've felt that hurt as well, but I don't want my testimony to be ruined by a policy or something rude that whether it's a member of the church or a general authority, something that someone said, I don't want that getting in the way of my relationship with God. So I just try and hold to that when other things go astray. I I think that's great. I think it's, very thoughtful, and I think we need to create space in our congregations for members to have a belief like Devin holds, and I hold very similar belief. And if we create a purity test that everybody's got to love every general conference talk or everything every leader's currently said or historically said, and the church itself is perfect, um, I think we some members feel that way. And if they do, great. I don't want to change how they feel, but there's a lot of members that are um, faithfully coming to church that are uncomfortable at some parts of the church. And let's give them space to continue to come to church and feel like people like them are welcome. My own stake president, I put this in the book that I've written. Um, when I when the policy statement came out, I was open with my home stake president. And it was interesting how he handled that. This is the policy statement of November 15. He didn't give me a spiritual checklist of things I needed to do to feel good about the policy statement. He just gave me permission to have a fallen domino. He actually used fallen dominoes. And he just said, you know, this is a fallen domino for you. And But with a fallen domino, the inference is it could hit other dominoes and they all could fall. But it kind of taught me and helped me to realize I have dominoes with really deep roots. So as the policy statement became a fallen domino, it hit other dominoes like you have, like personal revelation, the Savior, the belief in the gospel, the Book of Mormon, it keep me a fully believing Latter-day Saint. But if he hadn't given me permission to have a fallen domino or be unsettled about the policy statement, it probably, or compared me to the tares or the people or the elector being it's deceived at the last days, if he had use some of those shaming tactics is what I call them, I think it would have really added to my load. I think I would have stayed in the church because I have a pretty deep, you know, 40-year foundation in the church. But if I were a little more fragile, a little more younger, or had other things going on in my life, I wonder how I would have handled that. So he, what I call a ministering home run, is the words I've used in the book to describe Dave Sturtz, his name, my local stake president, who did a great job of just helping me manage that and creating space for me to feel like I belonged in this church, even with a fallen domino or two. So I love the framework you're giving for other Latter-day Saints and hopefully for leaders and families to create space for all of our members. I, I like the scripture, one heart and one mind, Devin and Moses, but to that doesn't mean we all have uniform beliefs about everything. It's just our one heart and one mind is just as you're sharing on this podcast, a desire to come into Christ, um, to bring other people with us, to love, support, be kind, and to have a better relationship with our heavenly parents. That to me is the body of Christ. 
and bringing others along with us to do that with the kindness and empathy and creating space for them. So I really agree with what you said. Any any last thoughts before we sign off, Devin? No, I think this has been wonderful. I just really hope, yeah, I remember what it was like to be 14 and freaking out and to feel so hopeless. So I just, whenever I'm sharing my experiences, I just hope it 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 reaches out to someone, whether it's that child or a parent somewhere or a leader, so that maybe we're all just a little more conscious of what we say and think and do. Um, something I've always kind of wanted to do is just to almost to stand up in front of a ward and say, okay, like how many kids do we have in the primary and young men's and young women's? Cause from, we don't know exactly, but you know, from that statistical standpoint, you know, of there being somewhere like one or 5% of people being LGBT, like, okay, like you've got 40 kids, you know, 40 youth or whatever in the ward. Well, okay. That means like we got a couple of them, like they're in here and they're listening. And do you want those kids to feel comfortable coming and talking to their parents, to their priesthood leaders, when they have to really start grappling with these issues? Because they, we listen. I knew exactly what everyone said about anything LGBT growing up because, because it was something I was struggling with. So just remembering we're all on different paths, and not only with this issue, but other ones. Yeah, it's, it's the Savior's place to judge. He'll be the perfect judge. And we can take that weight off of our own shoulders and not worry about judging anyone. We can just work on creating a loving environment in our homes and our personal spaces and in our places of worship for everyone to feel comfortable. Cause that's what means. I can't tell you what it means to me when people are just loving and kind about my situation, even if they disagree with it. And that's fine. I don't expect everyone to agree with my choices, but just that they would appreciate the fact that I'm, trying to do what I feel is best for me and just love me for where I'm at and I'll love them for where they're at and we'll all just work on being a little better. I love that. It's hard not to continue to talk after Devin gives so many good insights, but um, a paradigm shift for me was when I started to think of LGBTQ people as our own people and not an outside group of people. And I love the way you're framing that. And it was gay, it was two gay men in my ward that, participate in the church or willing to share me share with me about their journey that created more empathy in my heart so I was willing to want to learn more about this space so for Devin and those of you that are LGBTQ and feel impressed to come out not everybody feels impressed to come out I think that's okay but are impressed to come out and participate in the church I think you're one of the ways our church will improve as we start to see LGBTQ people as our own people and not only develop more empathy for you, but perhaps even more importantly, see your contributions to the body of Christ to help us become the body of Christ that we need to be. I I recognize that it's LGBTQ people that have helped me be a better disciple of Christ. And are, I think that's true of the congregations where um, they feel more included, that they are helping our congregations do better and sort of have a better feeling for all marginalized groups and what we can do. So I've always felt that part of your contribution as LGBTQ Latter-day Saints is helping us grow. And it's not just straight allies' job to rescue you. Sure, we need to do that and 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 not create pain with the things that we say are hurt. 
and we also need you to lead us at times um, to follow the full gospel of Jesus Christ. Is so, right if I just end with my yes, testimony? Yes, let's end with your testimony, and I promise not to add anything in except a closing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, as Devin Bourne, as a medical student, as a gay man, I just want to leave my testimony that I know God lives. I know I have a Savior. I know they love me as, as a son, as a brother, as a gay man, as a medical student, and that even though I don't have all the answers, that they're still guiding my path. They're helping me find that way. I know Joseph Smith saw God the Father and Jesus Christ, and I know the Book of Mormon are tr is true. The, there are many other things I don't know, but I know, I know those four, I guess, principles of the gospel, and I know that being gay is part of my my experiences in this immortality, and this is the way I'm supposed to be, and that it's okay that they that they love me like that. I know that even though I under, understand it all, that this is their church, and it's where, for me, my path is is supposed to be, and I leave that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. From all of our listeners, um, I, if your parents are listening and they heard that in this podcast, you know, this has got to be a payday for you for what you've done as parents and this great son you have with a rock solid testimony, a core goodness, um, future career as a doctor. Um, great job for the parents you are and the kids that you have and the, the wonderful son you've raised in Devon. And this is Richard Osler, your host, signing off on another episode, hopefully with better sound quality with our new soundboard um, from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. Thank you.